Welcome to Disciple City Church Podcast. My name is Jerry Wagner, founder and lead pastor of Disciple City Church in Dallas, Texas. Thank you so much for tuning in to our podcast. Our desire is to unleash healthy disciple makers in West Dallas to reach the world. God bless you as you listen and consider subscribing so that you can listen to new messages each week. Thank you and have a God-filled day. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to James chapter 5. We're going to be looking at verses 7 through 11. We have two more sermons left in this series called Faith That Works. And last week, Michael did a, another incredible job preaching God's word. Give it up for him. But James chapter 5, beginning at verse 7, and it reads, Be patient, therefore, brothers, until the coming of the Lord. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, being patient about it until it receives the early and the late rains. You also be patient. Establish your heart, for the coming of the Lord is at hand. Do not grumble against one another, brothers, so that you may not be judged. Behold, the judge is standing at the door. As an example of the suffering and patience, brothers, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. Behold, we consider those blessed who remain steadfast. You have heard of the steadfastness of Job, and you have seen the purpose of the Lord, how the Lord is compassionate and merciful. Let me pray. Eternal Father, I kneel down before you so that I might decrease, so that you might increase. Thank you so much for this service that have allowed us to sit in our worship. It has allowed us to slow down so that we can experience your presence. The Bible teaches us in the presence of the Lord, there's fullness of joy. And at that right hand, there are pleasures forevermore. I pray that we experience those pleasures today. Not only do we experience it in song, but we also experience it in your spoken word. Father, today, these men and women have come here. By your divine appointment, you have breathed into their nostrils and they are living beings. I pray, Father, whatever they need today, that you will provide it from heaven like manna. I pray, Father God, whatever they need today, Father, you will give them the endurance to continue. I pray, Father God, whatever they need today, Father, they would do it in such a way that they might be conformed to the image and the likeness of your son. Would you have your way in this place, O oh God, today? And we be careful to give you all the honor and glory and praise which you are due. It's in Jesus' name that I pray. Let all the saints say, amen. Let's jam out. Get my emotions together. That song's still rattling in my soul. I'm sitting there like, man, I thought it was like an anthem or a fight song. Okay. Maybe it's just me. All right. Let's jump in this. Uh, one of the worst things I hate when I am calling an organization for support or scheduling is when I hear this. Thank you for calling. You are very important to us, but car 
apparently all of our representatives are busy right now. Please hold and we will be back with you shortly. Ah! I hate that, man. I'm like, hold on. I don't want to talk to an answer machine. And then what makes matters worse, then they start playing like that elevator music, that 2006 Geico commercial music. They're like, I'm like, bruh, stop. <laughs> like, leave. And then it gets worse because they keep reminding you that you're on hold. <laughs> Hey, you are the next caller. <laughs> we will get back with you in a second. I'm like, no. And this is one doctor's office. They like to teach you while you wait. Right? And they do things like, did you know? <laughs> the foot contains 26 bones, 33 joints, 107 ligaments, and 19 muscles. Visit our office and ask one of our doctors to properly measure your feet. <laughs> I'm like, what? I call for my teeth to be clean, and you telling me about feet? <laughs> oh, I hate waiting. I hate it. It's suffering to me to be on the phone waiting. <laughs> I see people shaking their head like, yes, yes. But my wife, Tamira, she has a system while she waits. When she calls a doctor or an office, for scheduling, the first thing she does is starts, she starts dishwater, all right? Yeah. Or she puts a load of clothes in the laundry, uh, in the washing machine. Or she puts food in the crock pot. I'm over by the table, hoovering over the phone, looking at how long I've been on the phone. I'm like, babe, look, look, they still haven't picked up the phone. She's working. She's working. In fact, I asked her one day, I said, Bae, what are you doing? She says, I'm working while I wait. She said, I'm working while I wait. Oh. What is true as we wait on our representatives to respond to our call is also true as we wait on the return of Jesus. He is calling us to work while we wait. He's calling us to work while we wait on him. The problem is, though, if you're like me, you are so distracted by the weight that you cannot focus on the present work that he has for you. If you anything like me, the weight has you so restrained that you can't focus on anything else. Why is it so hard to wait? I'll give you a couple of reasons. One reason I think it's hard to wait is because we think that our present need is more urgent than our present work. One of the reasons why it's so hard is we think we, our need right now is urgent, is above everything else. And not the present work that God has given us. The second thing I believe, the reason why it's so hard to wait is because we want our, an immediate answer in our weight at the cost of neglecting the immediate impact that we can have if we were working. But here's the last one that I think encompass both pitfalls of waiting. And so I asked my wife, I said, Bay, I said, how is it that you can work while you wait? And she replied, easy. And I was like, it ain't easy, because if it was easy, I would do it, right? But she said, easy. 
I focus on the things that I can control and not on the things that I can't. I almost had her to preach this sermon. I'm just going to be honest with you all. She said, I focus on the things that I can control, not on the things that I can't control. And it hit me. One of the reasons why we are experiencing anxiety as we wait on the return of the king is because we are focusing on things that we cannot control. That's why this song was so impactful. Because the groaning reminded us that God is the creator of all things. That God has a plan and a purpose so that you might look like the image of his son. And we hate that. We begin to focus on things that we cannot control. And so today, James and I want to teach you, and even myself, how to wait. Specifically, how to wait upon the Lord and his return. Now, for some of you, I need to be more practical because it's not just waiting on the Lord. It's how to wait in the midst of your suffering, right? It's how to wait in the midst of injustice. It's how to wait for that perfect job opportunity. It's how to wait when you're in need of healing. It's how to wait to experience complete love. It means how to wait for Jesus when your world is constantly falling apart. And here's the truth. Faith works while it waits. Say it with me. Faith works while it waits. It works. It works despite your suffering. It works despite injustices. It works despite not having that perfect job. It works despite not being healed. It works despite not experiencing the fullness of love. He calls us to work while we wait. All right. And so one thing I want you to remember four, three P's. I want you to remember three P's. Yes, this is a PP sermon today. All right. Three P's I want you to remember. Patient, pulse, and pointing. Patient, pulse, and pointing. Let's deal with patient. Faith works while it waits by being patient. Let's go back to the text. Two times in verses seven and eight, James says, be patient, right? Now, if you're like me, and I'm hoping there's some, some people out there that's like me, the moment I hear the word patient, I automatically think to be passive, right? Like I automatically think to be submissive. Like, I, I think inactivity, I, I think that we're not supposed to do anything. The moment I hear the word patient is the moment I get lazy. In fact, the image that comes to my mind when I think about the word patient is the checkout lines at Walmart on Cockrell Hill. I went in... <laughs> Man, you go in there for a toothpick, you won't see the light of day, man. Like, that's what I think of when I think about patience. And the longer you suffer, now watch this, the longer you suffer, 
the more you think that nothing can be done about this situation. And so you don't speak out. You don't speak up because you are walking in this, this, this idea of passiveness. But that is not how James is defining patient. In fact, when James used the word patient, it is in the context of the military. Yep. This is a battle word, right? This is a battle for your life. And if you know anything about the military, watch this. They do more things before 6 a.m. than most people do all day. All right? Any military people up in here? Not one, really? Okay. You scared? You scared to raise your hand? Okay. Oh, you looked that way? <laughs> she was like, it, I got it. Well, yes. All right. And if this is a military term, then watch this. It suggests that this type of faith is active. It suggests that this type of faith is tactical, right? In fact, it suggests that those who wait, wait in such a way that they're waiting for the commander in chief to give them orders. This ain't a passive faith. This is an active militant faith. One that says you need to do something while you wait. And here's the point. If you and I are going to learn how to wait and work, it starts with us having this active militant faith that we're going to have to do more things before Jesus Christ come so that the hearts of men and women might be saved. And so then he tells us, who are we waiting on? Who, who are we waiting on? Well, look at verse 7. He says, be patient, therefore, brothers. Why? Until the coming of the Lord. Now, that's shouting music right there, right? And the reason why it's shouting music is because, especially for those who are, like, fighting this fight of justice, and I'm going to talk about justice in a second, because the coming of Jesus suggests that reinforcement is on the way. Like the reason why your heart should get warm when he says until the coming of the Lord is because it suggests that both the glory and the judgment of God is coming. And, I, and that all those who are fighting this fight of justice, Jesus Christ alone, right, can bring full justice upon his arrival. In other words, Help is on the way. But my issue with my brothers and sisters who are fighting justice, which all of us should be fighting justice, right? Is I think justice is beginning to break down because we have lost sight of our commander in chief. In fact, I believe the reason why we are not righteously pursuing justice, one of the R's, right? is because we no longer expect Jesus to return. And for some of you all, like, no, Pastor, I do expect him to turn, uh, return. But then I would say, but you're not acting like it, right? And what happens is, the longer you don't expect Jesus to return, watch this, then you begin to do it yourself. Like the longer you are waiting on someone, watch this, you begin to think they are taking too long, right? 
And what do you do when people take too long? I heard it. I heard you do it yourself. You turn into what I call a spiritual pirate. I'm going to make it make sense in a second. Like you, you turn to Captain Jesus and you look him in his face and you say, I am the captain now. <laughs> right? Like the longer Jesus does not come, you begin to say he's not coming or he's taking too long. And when you get to that point, you think you're the captain. And you start to take matters into your own hands. And it's not just injustice that we do this. It's also in life. Some of you all have taken your healing in your hands. Some of you all have taken your job in your hands. Some of you all have taken uh, responsibility that only God himself can control in your hands. Why? Because Jesus is taking too long to come back. Mm. I am the captain now. So one of the questions I had to ask myself while reading this text is, then how, pastor, do I, I walk in patience? How do I work in patience while I wait? And then James is going to tell you, look at the farmer. Look at the farmer. Look at verse 7. He says about the farmer, he says, see how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth. Being patient about it until it receives the early and the late rains. He says, if you want to learn how to have patience, look at how the farmer waits. Now, it's two things that he wants you to know about the farmer. The first thing is the word wait here means expectant. The farmer expects that God will bring rain. He expects that God will grow fruit. He doesn't have a passive faith. He has an active militant faith. Watch this. That is accompanied by expectations. But the second thing I think he wants us to understand when we looks at, look at this illustration is simply this. Notice what the farmer is focusing on. He is not focusing on the rain. He's focusing on the planting. He's focused on the tilling. He's focusing on the cultivating on the land. Pastor, why is that important? Because he focuses on not what he can't control, but he focuses on what he can control. See, you're focusing that it's no rain. And God is saying, forget the rain. I want you to focus on the field. People aren't coming to Jesus, but are you focusing on them not coming to Jesus? Or are you focusing on being obedient to share the message when I bring them to you? He says, focus and look at the farmer because the farmer is teaching us that don't focus on the things that you can't control. Focus on the things that you can control because this is active faith. But here's the danger. The moment when you focus on things that you can't control, you begin to distrust God. You begin to distrust God because your kingdom and your plans are falling apart. And instead of blaming your inactivity, you look towards God and say, it's your fault. It's your fault. You should be doing this. But that's not what James is saying. James is simply saying, if you're going to learn how to wait, you're going to have to learn with militant, active faith with the expectation that Jesus Christ is coming. 
And so he moves from this idea of patient to this idea of pulse. And watch this. Faith works while it waits by developing a strong pulse. All right. Now, where on heck did I get the word pulse from? Right. Right. Look at verse 8b. It, no, it simply says, establish your heart. All right. You see that little pulse? I tried to do it. Jorge, Jorge, that's how Jorge dance, right? <laughs> right? Establish your heart, i.e., pulse. He says, if you're going to learn how to work while you wait, then you're going to have to learn how to develop a strong pulse. Right? The word strong pulse, the way I'm using it here, it, it simply means that you have internal resolve. Right? It simply means that you are learning how to stand firm in the midst of chaos. In fact, I can say it like this. It is calmness on the inside while there is chaos on the outside. That's what it means to have a strong pulse. And, and the best way that I can illustrate this is mothers. Mothers who have children running all around the house, tearing up everything, doing all this stuff, and they're still standing strong and, res and resolved. Every time I see my wife, man, she's resolved. M Melissa Filler, she's resolved. Even in the midst of chaos. But the moment you leave all those kids with some of our hu uh, their husbands, we like, oh, man, I don't know what to do. Woo! <laughs> I remember, man, when I was a stay-at-home father, man, I remember calling Tamara one day crying. <laughs> I was like, I ain't cleaning up this house no more. <laughs> Y'all laughing. I was crying. She's like, I'll be home in a second. I'm like, I don't know if I'm going to be able to make it. <laughs> That's what it means to have a strong pulse that you have this internal resolve that you are calm on the inside, although there's chaos on the outside. Hmm. And the only way to have this type of resolve is to be anchored in the truth that Jesus return is near. For the second time, look at what James says. He says, for the coming of the Lord. Now watch this. He adds something is at hand. The phrase at hand means near. He says, if you're going to have internal resolve, you're going to have to understand that Jesus Christ coming is imminent. That means it's coming soon. In other words, you don't have to hang on for, uh, for a very long time because Jesus Christ is on his way. See, the moment we forget that Jesus Christ's coming is near, the moment we begin to panic and become overwhelmed with stress because we don't know what to do. And James says, if you want to anchor yourself and have an internal resolve, watch this, know that Jesus Christ's coming is near. Let me teach you something about the word near. First of all, Matthew, remember we did a whole series on the book of Matthew. If you haven't heard it, go to the uh, I, uh, uh, podcast and you can hear. We did a whole series on Matthew. And in Matthew, remember Matthew used to always say the kingdom of heaven is at hand. The kingdom of heaven is near. You know what he was saying? He says, because the kingdom is here, it suggests that the king has shown up. 
right? See, you don't have to wonder whether Jesus is coming back. You just have to believe that the same God who brought the good news is also going to be the same God who brings the great judgment. That the kingdom of God is at hand. Jesus Christ is coming near. Let me make it more practical. The word near simply means this, short distance, in close or intimate manner. Are almost happening and when I when I see that definition I begin to think of what Jesus Christ said to his disciples he says I will be with you always when I think about something being in close proximity I think about when Jesus told them that there is one who is coming a comforter who's going to take resident inside of you why is all that important Jesus is near every day of our lives he has given us the spirit of God who, uh, who allows us to have that calmness on the inside, who gives us that resolve. See, the moment I hear about those things, I'm always excited because I'm like, thank you, Jesus, for being near. You ever been experiencing so much chaos that people around you are trying to figure out why are you so calm? And when you tell them why you are calm, it throws them off because you say, I believe in Jesus. When Tamara and I are sitting in the hospital, I'll I tell you this one. When Tamara, she had a um, hernia and it had like overextended and my wife was in great, great pain. Oh my goodness, great pain. And I'm in there and I'm holding her up and I'm, I'm trying to move her around. And when the doctors would come in and saw that she was in this pain, she kept saying, thank you. She kept saying, thank you to the doctors in the midst of all this pain. I'm getting frustrated. I'm like, forget saying thank you. Y'all need to help my wife. And what she began to do is show the character of God. And guess what happened? We went to the wrong hospital. We went to a Parkland hospital, and I ain't throwing no shade at Parkland. I, all I'm saying is if you go there, it's like standing in the line at Walmart. You know, it's, and, and it was packed in there. But because of the reflection of Tamara's character, they began to try to find a room even faster for her. And the only reason I can say that my wife had this resolve is because of who she is on the inside. Her reflection of God's character caused everybody else around her to be calm. And that's what it looks like to be calm in the midst of Jesus coming near. Moving from on. Now he moves from pulse to pointing. This is the last point, right? And watch this. Faith works while it waits by not pointing fingers at others. <laughs> yeah, watch this one. When you and I have suffered for an extended period of time, then we look to others to blame. When you have experienced suffering for a long period of time, you get into this position that it's someone else's fault. That you wouldn't be in this situation if they didn't do this. In fact, James goes on to say, because he recognizes this in the church, he says, do not grumble against one another, brothers. Why? Because if you grumble against one another, you bring judgment on yourself. He 
says, do not grumble. Now, this word grumble is fun because it's an Old Testament reference. And it goes all the way back to Exodus 16 and Numbers 11. And if you've never read that story before, it is when the Israelites are complaining to God when he had just delivered them out of the hands of Pharaoh, right? And they've been in the wilderness and they begin to complain against God because he is not providing for them, or at least that's what they think. And they begin to reminisce on what it was like to be in Egypt. And although they were under the thumb of Pharaoh, they began to think about the meat and the food that they had. And they start grumbling. But God says, I have heard your grumbling. And watch this. I am going to provide manna for you. And so God begins to rain down food from heaven. <laughs> and you would have thought they would be like, thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Yahweh. Thank you for helping me. But when you go to Numbers 11, they said, we tired of this manna. We want meat. <laughs> we want meat. And then they stopped grumbling against God. And then they started grumbling against Moses and Aaron. And here's the point I think James is trying to make when he brings up this word grumbling. In Exodus 16, verses 7 and 8, they ask two questions when they are grumbling. And it says this. For what are we that you are grumbling against us? And then they ask the question again in verse A. What are we that you are grumbling against us? See, he goes on to say, your grumbling is not against us, but against the Lord. See, the moment you and I grumble, you pick a fight, not with the, your brothers who are on the ground. You're literally picking a fight, watch this, with God. Like your issue is not with me or your spouse or your friend. The moment you start grumbling, watch this, your issue becomes with God. Ugh. And I've seen this firsthand. I've seen this firsthand. If you would go down my street, you would know that there's been a lot of construction on my street. Right. And one day it took me it takes me five minutes to get to my job. One day it took me 30 minutes because of the construction that's on our road. And I'm sitting there, man, I'm sitting there, I'm boiling on the inside. And then all of a sudden this woman erupted. She got out and did the best. I can't say what she said on stage, but she erupted you and you can fill in all the blanks. And as I'm sitting there, I'm actually cheering her on like, go, sis, yeah, go. I wanted to say that, but I don't know what that's going to look like. I, I guess I shouldn't say that. I'm a pastor. I guess. But I was like excited. <laughs> but I learned something in that moment. See, her grumbling was against the wrong people. See, her issue was against the city of Dallas, not with the city workers. But the people who felt the wrath was those who were on the ground, not the one who was up above. See, when you start grumbling, your issue is not with the people on the ground. Your issue is with God. And you begin to pick a fight with God. And the second thing I think he wants to bring out is the moment they said that we no longer want this manna, we want meat. Here's what they were communicating. 
God, what you are giving us is not good enough because we deserve better. See, the moment you start grumbling, what you are suggesting is that you deserve better than what God has given you. The, the moment you begin to pick this fight with God, you're shaking your hand and you're looking at the manner that God is providing you. And you're like, man, what is this? I deserve steak and I deserve meat and I deserve this job and I deserve this. Helen. I deserve this. Hmm. And if I'm honest with myself, this is how I behave when I'm waiting on the Lord. It's everybody else's fault. As a husband, man, my wife would have just did this. As a lead pastor, if the staff would have just did this. As someone who thinks he needs to be further along in his ministry, if, man, I'm better than that person over there. And I begin to grumble within myself, thinking it's against someone on the ground, not knowing that my fight now is against God. So now James does not tell us. Now, it's funny because James doesn't tell us why they are grumbling. Nor does he tell us what they are grumbling about. And I can only surmise that those things are not important. But what he does tell us is that when your complaining turns into criticism, then what you are doing is practicing unrighteous judgment against your brother. In fact, he goes on to say, so do not, so that you may not be judged. Behold, the judge is standing at the door. Now, when I see that, I'm like, okay, so my grumbling has picked a fight with God. And because now I have picked a fight with God, guess what? God himself is near standing at the door. It, it reminded me of when I was in um, elementary school and you know how when you acting up in class and then all of a sudden you look up and your mom standing in the door like this. Everybody else knew what was going on around you because they saw her before you did because you were acting up and they like, whose mama is that? Whose mama is that? Oh, that's your mama. <laughs> and it is not to say that Jesus is the boogeyman. But what he is saying is the moment you start grumbling, the moment you start murmuring, you pick a fight with me. And I am near. Why is it that Christians don't think that the judgment of Christ is near? Why is it that we, we, we think that Jesus Christ is not coming to reconcile all things to himself? James says, keep grumbling. You go look up and Jesus is going to be upon you. So the question now is, how do I work while I wait without pointing fingers? And he tells you how. He says, look at the prophets. He says, if you want to learn how to not point fingers in the midst of waiting on Jesus, he says, use the prophets as a model, right? In fact, I can just hear him saying, look at Jeremiah, right? Remember, the Bible says that um, the Bible says in Jeremiah, before I formed you, I knew you and I sanctified you to be a prophet among the nations. And God had already commissioned Jeremiah to go out into the world 
And then he said, oh, by the way, you're going to preach, but they ain't going to listen. Anybody want a ministry like that? That is about your obedience, but you ain't going to see no fruit? But Jeremiah was so faithful to God that he kept preaching the word of God to the point that he was thrown into a cistern, which is a well, and they left him there as he was sinking in the mud. And yet he kept preaching. What about uh, my boy uh, Belshazzar? You know who Belshazzar is, don't you? You don't oftentimes use that word because oftentimes we refer to him as Daniel. All right? Daniel was in captivity to the B Babylonian government. And, and he got to a point where he was not going to succumb or to surrender or to submit to Pharaoh. Now, not Pharaoh, to um, Nebuchadnezzar. Take that out of the podcast when you get that on there. All right? <laughs> you, you heard it. They won't hear. All right? uh, you gotta take, I guess you got to edit that too. Whatever. <laughs> and so they threw him into the lion's den. We know this story, right? What about Shadrach, Meshach, and a bad Negro? I mean, a Benigo. Like, my bad. I'm sorry. Every time I see that, I just think of a brother just like, man. Like, he was not going to surrender to the idol of Nebuchadnezzar. And one of the most gangster scriptures, and I got to use that word, one of the most gangster scriptures I have ever read, when someone is facing death, is what they said. And I got to read it. Nebuchadnezzar said, hey, are you going to worship my God, are you going to worship my idol when you hear the trumpet? Answer me. And this is what they said. Oh, Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer you in this matter. If this be so, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the burning fiery furnace and he will deliver us out of your hands, O king. Here's the gangster stuff. But if not, be it known to you, O king that we will not serve your God or worship the golden calf that you have set up. Even if he doesn't deliver us, I'm still not bowing down. <laughs> Even if he doesn't take us, I'm still not being, that's gangster, man. You know, it's like the dude who, who about to get punched and everybody else flinching, and then it's that one dude like, bruh, give it to me. <laughs> yeah, y'all ain't from the hood. Yeah. <laughs> Some people are like, no, Jerry, they shouldn't be hit like that. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. <laughs> he says, look at the prophets. They are the models. And I'm glad this, these, these prophets are here among us today. Because some of you all are like, man, but those are old prophets. Can I give you one that's right next to you? Look at Christo Philip and Melissa Philip, who spoke the gospel. And was kicked out of India because of what they stood for for Jesus. And only of recent where they uh, restored back their, their citizenship to even go back. He was thrown in jail. The family couldn't pack up all their clothes before they left. Because they were known as terrorists. Because of their faith in Jesus. You have a member, a family member that goes to this church who experienced that. What about your own pastor who knew if he stood up for what was right 
when he saw a man being treated unjustly, that he was putting in jeopardy, not only his reputation, but also our ability to stay in this building. What would you do? When sure death or sure persecution is there. James says, if you're going to learn how not to grumble, if you're going to learn how to point the finger at other people, he said, you're going to have to learn how to stand strong and speak up and speak out. Here's the last one. He doubles down his illustration by using Job. All right. Now, James says, you have heard of the steadfastness of Job and you have seen the purpose of the Lord, how the Lord is compassionate and merciful. Now, most of us who read the Job story is like, how? Right. And the reason why we are like, how is because the Bible says that he was a righteous man. And, and God said about this righteous man when Satan came to heaven, hey man, have you considered my servant Job? Like he literally said, hey man, you looking for a fight, right Satan? Hey man, I got a champion right here named Job. Do you want to fight him? And Job like, hold on bro, what? <laughs> He's like, man, what's going on? And notice what happens to Job. He loses his family. His wife starts rebuking him, the best way I can say it. <laughs> his friends turn their back on him. He loses his health to the point that his body is decaying. Job is getting slaughtered in the midst of suffering. And you would have thought that he would have got mad at God. He would have got upset with God, but he didn't. In fact, the Bible says that he never questioned the justice or he never cursed God. In fact, this is what Job said. In Job 13 verse 15, he says, though you slay me, yet will I praise you. Though you slay me, yet will I hope in you. Now, all of us oftentimes have seen that on coffee mugs. We have heard that from our grandmothers and things of that nature or whatever. But we forget the last part. Because the last part says, yet I will argue my ways to your face. Who did Job go to in the midst of his affliction? Not the people on the ground. He went to God. See, if you're going to complain, if you're going to grumble, if you're trying to figure out what's going on in the, the mess of your world, God says, bring that stuff to me, man. He said, bring it to me. And that's what Job did. Now watch this. Because when Job brought it to God, God says something that, this is one of the reasons why we don't go to God, because of how he talks to us sometimes. <laughs> God said to him, in Job chapter 40, verse 7, dress your actions like a man, and I will question you, and you will make it known to me. Notice what he said. He says, man up. Man up. You got a question for me? Man up. And he spends the next two verses explaining to him why he was going through what he was going through. Now, you would have thought that he would have looked at God and be like, man, see, that's why I don't like you. That's why I don't want to serve you. It's stuff like this that you be doing. First, I had to fight like fight Satan, man. You didn't come and help me, bro. My wife over here telling me I'm good for nothing or whatever. Like, man, what's up? 
but he didn't say that. That's what we would say. That's what I would say. Like, bro, if you go have me fighting Satan, give me some weapons, right? But this is what Job said, and I think it's something that we need to remember. In verse 42, verse 5, Job said, I have heard of you by the hearing of the ear, but now I see you. Therefore, I despise myself and repent in dust and ashes. He says, I heard of you, but now I see you. What he is saying is simply this. Some of us will experience the most blessings of God, watch this, in the midst of our suffering. See, the reason why we need to suffer is because all we have done is heard about him. But we haven't experienced who he is. And it's nothing like going through suffering where you go from, no, I know who God is. See, there's some people who say, I know God. But there's other old saints who say, no, I know who God is and I know what he can do. And when you get to the point where you know who God is and you know what he can do, you can stand with spiritual resolve even in the midst of storms. As the choir comes to the stage, because I know I'm out of time, but here's a couple of things I think we can learn from them. Here's a couple of things we can learn from the prophets. The first thing that we can learn from the prophets is this. We are not alone in our suffering. You are not alone in your suffering. What you are going through, other brothers and sisters, other Christians, those who are both far and near, those who you read about and those who you hear about are in the midst. You are not going through suffering by yourself. Here's the second thing I think we can learn from them. The same spirit that was in them is also in us. Even to the point that we have a greater spirit that's in us. In other words, you can do this. You are an overcomer. Greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. Here's the last thing I think you can learn. There is blessings in our endurance. Remember, I skipped over this intentionally, but remember James in 5.11 says this. Behold, we consider those blessed who remain steadfast. Those who endure, those who are steadfast, those who persevere, receives blessings. So the question is, how do we wait? A simple recap is simply this. We wait by being patient, by working on the things we can control and not on the things that we can't control. The way we uh, uh, wait well is we de develop a strong pulse by working with the knowledge that Jesus Christ is coming soon. And then lastly, the way that we wait, we do not point fingers. We do not point fingers by working on our spiritual endurance. You got to get stronger. We got to get stronger. So as we sing this last song, we do this thing called contemplation, right? And contemplation simply means this. Everything that God has allowed you to experience today, what is God calling you to stop? What is God calling you to start? And what is God calling you to believe? Let us contemplate. Thank you again for listening to Disciple City Church Podcast. Until we meet again, Shalom. Shalom.